Um, all right, let me just get, uh, you know, get my stuff situated here. All right. All right, so we are in the book of Ephesians, and we are going to do a part two of what I started last week. I only got through one point, so let's, uh, you know, let me pray real fast. I just need to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we get to study your word. Would you please, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us? Uh, Lord, without you, we are nothing, God. Lord, we need you, Lord. Some of us in here, Lord, are desperate. We are all desperate without you, Lord, but some of us are really facing some hard times right now and some difficult challenges, Lord, and we really need you to speak to us, God. So would you, by your word and your Holy Spirit, speak to us where we are at, because you know where we're at, Lord, and you have words, you have the word of life, Lord. You're the one who gives us hope. And so we just ask for you to bless this time, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in Ephesians 1, and we are actually in the section from verse 18 to 23. And last week I started, uh, I started sort of a, a, a sermon, or whatever you call it, um, related to sort of uh, Paul's point in this part, and we'll, uh, we'll get going here. Because there's a lot to say. I keep looking at the clock because I want to be respectful of time. But, you know, <clears throat> the Cardinals won today, so that's all that matters, and so we don't have to worry about that. Okay. 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 We are uh, in a section where Paul is praying for the Ephesian uh, church, and uh, we're going to see what he has to say to us. He says in verse, uh, I'll start with verse 15. I'm really focusing on verse 19 to 23, but I'll just get a running start. He says, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not s- cease giving thanks for you while making mention you in my prayers, that the God and Father, or that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, he's going to pray for three things here. He's, ask, he's actually saying, guys, I'm hearing great things about you. I'm hearing that you're loved for all the saints and you have faith in Christ, you know, and that's good news. But I'm praying for something else. I'm praying that God opens your eyes. I'm praying that God opens your spiritual eyes so that you will realize three things, okay? And we talked about sort of the first thing last week. He says that God may give you a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that, or I pray that, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. That was the first point, really. The certainty of what God has called us to. The certainty of our purpose in God. And I use, as an illustration, was Abraham, okay? And we're going to continue the illustration because it kind of flows into the Israel history and things like that, you know? So that was the first thing we talked about. And he says that you may know the, 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 what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That will be the second point. And thirdly, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? This is in, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ Jesus, in Christ when he raised him from the dead. 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, here's what we did. Last week, we sort of developed the idea. I'm holding my bottle because I'm really thirsty, and, but I'm conscious of the fact that it says my name, so... No royalties for that bottle. Okay. So the first point was this. Paul says, listen, I'm excited that you know the Lord, you're Christians, but I'm praying that you grow closer to God. I'm praying that that you grow more intimate with God, right? And one of the things that will happen is you grow more certain of the calling of God. Okay, we use Abraham as an illustration. And the idea was this. The calling was always something that was future, it was God saying, Abraham, go, here's where you're living now, and here's where I'm taking you to. Follow me and, and to a place I'm going to take you eventually someday, right? And so Abraham follows him, and his whole life is that thing of looking for the calling. And the calling was something in Abraham's life where it was always future, and it was something that was God-directed, right? So that was the calling, the certainty. God, uh, God says, I want you to know the certainty of that. Why is that? Because there's a, there's a huge delay from the time that God says, Abraham, I'm calling you, and I'm going to do great things through you. I'm going to make you a great people. I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to give you some land, right? From the time he left to the time he actually died, he died with two sons. He was supposed to be called Abraham, the father of multitude. He was going to be a father of, he says, Abraham, look at the stars. Can you count the stars? No, I can't. Well, even with the... Bigger telescope? No, I still can't all the stars. Guess what? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Well, that means the calling of Abraham outlives Abraham. The calling was this, was directional towards some, to a purpose of God. Okay? So sometimes God calls us to some place that's, that's way ahead of the future, and it's also beyond our own lives. It's something where God is going to do that, right? So Paul says, I am praying that as you get to know God more, that you grow in God, that you'll grow in the certainty of what he's called you to be, right? And that certainty, and, and Abraham had, you know the story of Abraham, he had various tests along the way, right? Um, and of course the biggest test was giving up his son Isaac. Um, and, or, or at least he didn't have to give up his son, he was tested for that. But the idea was, this: Paul says, I pray that you would, that you would know for without a shadow of that, that you would be certain of it, and we, we made the point uh, about that last week, what that all meant. You can listen to the recording. I don't want to repeat everything about that. But here's the thing. Paul says, not only do I, I'm praying that you know the future that God has for you in Christ. You know, when God calls us, when God calls us, it's not, a, God doesn't call us um, in a reactionary way. It's not like an afterthought when God calls us. Okay, the place you are at now is not the place where God is going to bring you to, which is not the place that He's going to finally bring you to at the end. The point is this: there's always a direction, and the direction is growing, obviously going closer to the Lord and learning of God along the steps. So here you have Abraham in the beginning of his journey is not asked to sacrifice Isaac. As he grows further and further in his walk with the Lord, his faith gets more and more deeper and tested, and his relationship with God is tighter. Right. 
He says to Abraham um, in Genesis 18 and 19, the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Why? Because you're my friend. I'm paraphrasing, right? I'm just trying to sake a time because I'm conscious of the clock. The point is this. As we grow further in our walk with God, there's those testings that happen. And some of us are in that season of testing. Some of us are, are wondering, God, where are you at now? Because I'm really enduring or facing this tremendous test. Yeah, you brought me out of, out of this point. Now I'm at this place where this is difficult for me. And Paul says, I am praying that you know for certainty what he's called you to. Does that make sense? Okay. I don't want to re- repeat the whole first sermon from last week, so let's move on. Okay. So then the second thing that says, point number two is this. Verse 18. I pray that not only you will know the hope of his calling. By the way, let's stop right here. The idea of know wasn't just knowing experientially. It was perceiving. It was both. Jesus says, I know my Father. I perceive my Father. I know my Father. You don't know my Father because the Pharisees didn't know God at all. But I know him. And how do I know him? Because I know him, as a, I know him intimately. Um, it's like when you're married... And your friends, you know each other, right? You know how each other think. You, you kind of you develop that relationship with somebody. Or you, you say um, uh, you have a best friend. You say, I know him. And someone says, well, did you hear what he did and said? And it's like, no, actually, it doesn't fit his character, and I don't know him. I know how he thinks. I know how he behaves. That's how Christ is saying about knowing God, and that's how Paul is saying, I want you to know God that way. Okay, let's go on from there. Am I Russian? Rushing, not Russian, but rushing. I have, you know, my son wants to do the DNA thing, you know. He wants to do the, the that's called ancestry, you know. Dad, can we do the ancestry? Because you just might be, you know. And I'm like, you know, I'm not rushing. I know. <laughs> I might be, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm Russian or something, but I'm, there's no Russian. So here's the second point. He says, I want you to know not only what's the hope of his calling, but what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He says, I want you to know your value to God. As you grow in the Lord, it's this, this idea of how important and how deeply you are loved by God. Now, I actually also added, if you only knew the treasure that you are to God. If you only knew the treasure that God has in you, and if you only knew the treasure that you are to God, if we only knew, I don't know about you, but this is a struggle for a lot of us, um, just feeling valued, feeling, uh, feeling like, you know, or maybe none of you guys struggle with this, but I, I, I'll, I'll talk to myself right here. <laughs> I struggle sometimes with feeling valued, feeling important, feeling loved, you know. Um, he says, I, I pray that you would know the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This idea of inheritance is, is twofold. So here you have Abraham, right? Let's just use Abraham. And now you have Abraham having children, and those children have children, and they're called Israel, right? So now you have Israel that's going to be brought to the promised land. Okay? The promised land is over there. And so what happens? They get to the promised land. They've been waiting for 400, almost 500 years, let's say, 400 and some odd years before they get to the promised land. They well, they've been waiting a long time. 
They get out of Egypt. Moses leads them out of Egypt. They get to the promised land. And God really tells them about this land. And they've been hearing these things. They've been anticipating great things, right? Um, in fact, he's telling them about the blessing of the land. I want you to learn, look at a couple of scripture with me. Look at Exodus 3. <clears throat> We're going to go Exodus 3 uh, first. So it goes Genesis, Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. Exodus 3. This is actually God talking to to Moses in uh, verse 8. He's talking to him in this burning bush. Uh, So he says, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. This is God talking to Moses through the burning bush. You know, Moses, Moses, you know. He says, I've heard the, the, the sufferings of my people, so I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, verse 8, and to bring them up from that land to a land, a, a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and Amorite and Perizzite and Hivite and Jebusite and every other light you can think of. He says, he says Moses, I am come to deliver my people out of Egypt into this, this, this land I promised Abraham a long time ago. Land flowing with milk and honey. And that actually means it was productive. It wasn't literally flowing with milk, you know. You get that, right? It just means there was a lot of goats that were producing, let's say. You know, they were, they were productive. Honey was, it wasn't just regular bee honey. It was also like figs and all kinds of fruits you find there in Mediterranean. So he says, I'm coming to take in there, the land. Go to Numbers 13. Numbers 13 it's to your right, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. That's four books, right, fourth book. Thirteen. The spies are sent, they get to the edge of the land, and they send spies in the land to say, hey, what's this land like? Is it like what God told us? And what's it like? Who are the people in the land? What's it, what's it really like? Give us, give us back word, you know? And so the spies come back. And uh, one thing is, they, a couple of them came back in verse 23, Exodus 13, 23 says, Then they came to the valley of Eskol and cut there down a branch of a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between... The, can you imagine these guys going to Costco with these grapes, trying to check out with this huge pole of grapes, you know? <laughs> I'm just, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just thinking here. And they carried it on a pole between the two men and some pomegranates and some figs, and they went, and they actually, um, they actually go back to Moses, and they tell uh, to Moses, hey, here's what the land's like. Let's keep on down to uh, same, same, uh, same chapter. Um, actually, no, let's just, I'll go back to that chapter in a second. The point is, this land was flowing. This land was, 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 was productive. Um, when Paul says, go back to Ephesians, when Paul says, I pray that you understand the riches of God's inheritance, in one sense, it's the riches that we have in God. It's the riches that we have in Christ. In one sense, it's that. Now, I'm going to develop a major point here, so just bear with me, okay? This is going somewhere. I take a lot of time to lay the foundation, you know, because I just, you know, I just got to get all the scripture out, you know, how it is. I don't want to be, I want to make sure. But the riches, the idea of riches is, um, and, and glory has to do with its... Um, 
has to do with wealth and honor of a king. In fact, Hezekiah, uh, it says in Second Chronicles that Hezekiah showed his riches and, 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 his, and, his, and his glory, so his honor to people. Uh, that was the honor of the king. Uh, the idea of riches here in, in, back in Ephesians, go back to Ephesians, are we there yet? I'm not there, I'm still back in California, no. Still back in uh, Ephesian land here. Okay, riches, it's the idea of something that was plentifully supp- supplied. So what Paul is saying, I pray that as you go and God, grow in God, that you would understand what has been plentifully supplied to you, what has been abundantly supplied to you. He says back in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What does that mean? We have abundant forgiveness available in God. Later on in chapter 2, look at chapter 2, verse 7. He says that so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us. What do we have? We have riches in forgiveness and riches in grace. In fact, look at chapter 8, Ephesians 8, or thir- 3. Man, I'm... I don't know. I'm just feeling all kind of flustered right here. Hold on. Maybe I'm just. I'm trying to rush this. Are you guys tracking? I'm just feeling kind of like I'm rushing. So, bear with me. I have a major point to make. But Paul says in chapter three, verse eight, he says, "To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ." He says in verse 16, same chapter, chapter 16, just go down down. He says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. There's unfathomable riches and there's abundant strength. He goes on in there from other, chapter, other places I can tell you. My point is there is an abundance of supply from God, right? When you need strength, where do you get the strength from? Well, it's from the Lord, right? I mean, supernatural strength. You know, if you're, if, you know, if you're trying to work out, you've got to eat the protein. You know, but strength that sometimes to help you face life, strength that you need to face uh, difficulties, that is from the Lord. Strength when you feel like you can't make it anymore. Strength when you basically have given up. And you say, Lord, I'm at the end of myself. I don't have any more to give. You say, and God says, I want to give you strength. Does that make sense? Because I know there's a lot of doubt going on in your heads right now. I mean, not your heads, but maybe some people's heads, but, you know, there's there's some doubt. Because you're like, well, where's the strength? You know something? The strength happens when when we are at our weakest point, and we're like, Lord, I have nothing else. All I have is you. I am relying on you with everything I have. I need you, God. You're going to have to come through. Does that mean that God raises all your problems in your life? No. But what he does is he gives you the strength to go through those problems sometimes. You know? It doesn't mean that God flips the switch and says, okay, no more problems. Now you're welcome to La La Land, and, and here we are. Disneyland, everything's great. You know, what, happiest place on earth, you know? But no, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that he is with you, as we read in Isaiah 43. I will be with you through those times, right? Does that make sense? See, sometimes as a Christian, I'm thinking, Lord, I just wish I could click a button and all my problems will go away. And God says, no, my problems are my tool used to bring you to me on your knees in dependence on me because you've got to realize that without me, you are nothing. See, the Christian life isn't about, you know, avoiding problems. It's about the Lord supplying what we need to bring us through those one step at a time, those problems. I don't know. Maybe I'm just 
talking to myself here. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I don't know. But I do have to say one thing. Not only is it the riches. So here's the thing. Watch this. So we get to the land. And so they get to the land that's flowing with milk and honey. So here's the land. That is, you have, you have oh man, you got great grapes there. You got, you got milk there. You got, and you know, you imagine your head. Maybe you're not into figs. Maybe you're not into grapes. Maybe you're into, pick your favorite food. Chocolate. Okay, fellow chocoholic right here. Okay. Yes, there's chocolate in the land, right? That's heaven. Okay? Heaven is chocolate. You know? There's chocolate in the land. There's abundant right there. So, so here's the thing. So you have all this stuff in this land. Now, now I have to be careful how I develop this because there's two, there's two things this can go. In one sense, there's, there's an idea of there's an inheritance from God that's for us, right? The blessings of the Lord. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who, who sins against me? Seven times? Being quite generous, Lord. The Lord says no. Seventy times seven. Basically unlimited. Duh. Excuse me? Jaw drops. Man. <laughs> you know? I mean, I have to be limited on my, I can't be limited on my forgiveness, no, because my forgiveness towards you is unlimited as well. See, sometimes we're so limited how much we let, we, we give people a little bit of grace, and we ask for God for a lot of grace sometimes, and we say, well, that's it, that's it, you know, sorry. How many of you guys, you remember Peter? How many times, what did Peter do? He denied the Lord, you know, I, I don't want to meet Peter and say, how was it denying the Lord up in heaven, you know, it was like, no. How many of you guys would have put Peter through the, through the ringer. Oh, Peter wants to come back to Jesus now. Now he's realizing that he was wrong and he denied. He denied me three times. I would have given him the... You know? I would have given him the business, right? If I were the Lord Peter, after all we've been through, all we've walked through, the times together, you were my inner circle. You know, I could just imagine that's how I would say it, you know? Peter... You get back to the line. You're, you just, you're in detention forever, whatever, they, you, know, <laughs> you know? And we think sometimes that God's like that. And sometimes we put ourselves in that. Sometimes we are, we are less gracious to ourselves than God is to us. And we say, well, Lord, I've committed this terrible sin, so I'm just going to go over here and just check out because I know I'm, I'm punishing myself because I realize I should be punished that much. And that's we, we would have done that to Peter, right? How many of you guys would have done to Peter? You guys are all gracious. Yeah, put your hands. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. We know that. And somebody says, well, you know, so-and-so fell into sin there, and so, you know, he has to go through a long process before he can be restored. Now, I understand the thinking of that, but I also understand, what process are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah, because you just want him to crawl on his hands and knees, begging back, just to just suffer like you suffered, right? And does Jesus do that to Peter? No, he says, he basically says, well, he recommissions him within a few days. Jesus raises from the dead. Peter and John go to the grave, and there's an angel. Hey, or Peter wasn't there at the time. Go tell the disciples and Peter, and Peter, right? 
I'm reinstating him, and God says, and Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Oh, Lord, that hurts. That hurts, you know? But he says, listen, he basically re-commissions him three days later, right? He's not on the three-year program of working his way back to, what's that song go? Working my way back to you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Frankie Valley or something like that, you know? <laughs> Things happen up here, you know? <laughs> you know. Now I understand if you're if you're you're, you're married and your spouse was, un, you know, there's there's trust and forgiveness things. But my point is, sometimes we think that we put ourselves in that with the Lord, and the Lord's a whole lot more gracious. Where, why did I go this direction? I don't remember where we were talking about. What are we talking? We're talking about Abraham, aren't we? We're talking about inheritance. So sometimes we think, here's what happens. Here's the question. So, okay, John, you see, we're in the land. There's chocolate, there's grapes, there's figs, whatever you want, right? Okay, that's great to talk about that, but how do I enjoy that? How do I partake of that goodness, right? How do I, how do, okay, where's the, where's the, what's the line? The cafeteria line on the cruise ship, you know, or is the, where's the, uh, what's it called? Where's the buffet? How can I enjoy this, you know? And this is where it gets tricky because here's one thing. You are faced with the promises of God that are meant for you. And you, there's, there's, there's something going on here because you want to enjoy that. But then something tells you that's meant for everybody else but you. That is, you're the one exception. It's not meant for you. Well, it's those, that goodness from God is not meant for you. Listen, in order to, to enjoy the promises of God and the, and the land of, of, of being a Christian, in order to enjoy, he says, I pray that you realize what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I hope that you realize and know and perceive that those inheritances are for you. You have to be convinced that it is for you. Okay, let me tell you a story. So my mom made me lunch one time. My mom's here. You probably don't remember the story. I don't know if you remember. I was in fourth grade. This is one of those memorable things, you know, those really turning points in your life that really impresses on your mind. And my mom made me a lunch. I had a lunchbox. had a rocket ship or something like that on it. I still remember. And before I left for school, my mom said, I want to pack you a surprise, like a little snackage dessert or something like that, you know. And I... Forgot about it. So I opened up my lunchbox, and apparently I didn't see something come out of the lunchbox. And so I lifted up the lid, and there was a candy bar. And I had no idea that that, lunchbox, that candy bar was in my lunchbox. And so I, I'm like, is that yours? And I just remember who I was sitting with. A couple of guys. I'm like, was it yours? No, it was not mine. And so we decided as a table to split it up, right? <laughs> so we split it up, right? We cut it in four ways. I think it was four of us kids sitting at the table and got home and mom asked me how, how I like my treat. What are you talking about? Why put a candy bar in here? That was mine? Do you know it bugged me for years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it bugged me for years. I could not let go of it. That was mine. 
I was supposed to enjoy it. I was selfish, okay? <laughs> I mean, but I missed out on, on a blessing that was meant to be for me. Now, of course, it was a blessing to share with others, looking back at Christian love and all that, you know? But my point is, <laughs> my point is, oh my goodness, I'm not going to get through this point. Um, my point is this. You have to be convinced that what God says is yours is yours. Now that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's really the sticker. It's like sometimes you go through a point where you're like, and maybe you guys don't deal with this. I have. Let me just deal with myself here. We go through a time where you're like, God loves everybody, yeah, everybody but me. God has forgiven everybody, but I've committed that one sin. God thinks about everybody, but of course I'm the exception, right? You, I don't know if you guys have gone through that problem. Maybe nobody else does, but I have. And I miss out on what God says is rightfully mine. So really to enjoy the fruit of the land, you have to say, that is rightfully mine from the Lord. Now, I want to share with others, of course, because the point is of taking the inheritance of, of God, of taking the blessing, the love from God, is also to pour it out and share with others. But you've got to be convinced that what God says is yours is yours, Right? And that is given by God. And sometimes, sometimes what happens is this, is we start talking to ourselves, say, well, that's too good to be true. Don't you know, da, 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 right? Well, if you only knew where I was at mentally today and where, what I did, you know, I just yelled at my wife on the way to church and now we're coming here and being all good smiley face and all that. Don't you know that I'm just a hypocrite? And yeah, we're all hypocrites, right? Welcome to the club, right? Big H, hypocrite. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have a we'll have a, a softball team called the hypocrites. You know, <laughs> you know, we'll just do that. You know, the point is this: yes, we all are. We all deal with self doubt. We deal with that kind of stuff, right? But here's what happens: <clears throat> we sabotage it, and we say, "I won't enjoy it." And we we go through time with not enjoying the blessings of God, things that are rightfully ours in the Lord. Because we don't think that Christ has done enough for it. Or we don't think it's really, really ours. Because there's got to be some small print there somewhere. There's got to be that one exception that takes us out of the running, right? You know, even sometimes our feelings tell us, yeah, you know, it's not for you. Now, here's the other thing, though. And this is where we have to, we're going to end pretty soon. And I'll just do it next week. So the children of Israel, they finally get into the land, right? They get to the land in Numbers 13, but then they turn around because they say, you know, there's people that live there, right? There's giants that live there, right? Go back to Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Verse 25. When they returned... Hold on. When they returned from surveying the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And, and this, is, this is its fruit. Here's the grapes and stuff, right? Nevertheless, there's always a nevertheless, right? Yeah, it's, this is a good thing from God, but this is, 
This is a blessing from the Lord, but here's the thing. But the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of the Anak there. They were tall, tall people. Okay, they were like eight feet tall or something like that, right? They're huge giants, right? And Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. That's the south part. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So here he says, listen, we, there's all these blessings there. But there's people there, and they're strong, and they're intimidating, and they're bigger than us. They're, they even got walled cities. You know, Jericho had a wall around it. Here's what happens. Is there's, there's hindrances to those. Here's what happens. In the Christian life, oh boy. In the Christian life, the, 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 the um, Well, the goal, the goal is, was to be in the land, right? Okay, so you're in the land. And the goal was to enjoy the blessing land. But then you have the enemies of the people of God there too. You have the blessings and you have the enemies there side by side. The next few verses record how the fact that Two of the spies said, yeah, let's go for it. And the rest said, no, let's not. They end up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Fast forward. We get to the book of Joshua. Joshua tells us the story of them going into the land and conquering the land and conquering those enemies or driving them out in the overall process of conquering the land, right? But at the end, it says they didn't drive them all out. So here's the point. They had victory in the land. The land was theirs. It was given by God. It was rightfully theirs. Okay, we can just call the Jerusalem people right now and say, hey, the land is yours, you know, God said that, right? The land was theirs. They conquered the people land in general, but there were still people that lived there. It's a picture of the Christian life. Why is that? Because the, Christ, because the victory on the cross is done, right? Satan is defeated. And so then, Lord, if Satan is defeated, how come as a Christian I still deal with spiritual attack? As a Christian, how come I still go through all this kind of stuff, right? And that's where Paul is going to develop his third point, and that's where we have to stop. But I've got to just give you a little teaser here, right? It's interesting is this. There's three points here. Certainty of your calling, the riches of the inheritance of the saint, saints, and the third is the power of God that's available to you and for you. Why is that necessary? Because, because of the three things. In fact, Paul says in the third point, he develops like five, six verses instead of one phrase. Why is that? Because God realizes that though we are victorious in Christ, we live in the land. and We live in a place in our spiritual life where there's going to be the blessings of God and the, the enemy telling us something else. We say, well, this is from the Lord. I want to accept it. And the enemy says, that's not for you. God says, I love you. And the enemy says, no, he doesn't. Right? God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, let's, look, let's think about this. How come he didn't come through with that? How come he, felt he left you down? How come he doesn't answer this prayer? You've been praying for 20 years, right? So you're going to have this constant thing in your spiritual life. And so Paul wants to teach us how to navigate that because he has to tell us, that, listen, and that's going to be the third point, which we'll get to next week, is that there's actual part. We have to teach you, listen, we want to be like the two spies that, the spies that said, we can conquer these people because God's with us. 
as opposed to the others that said, well, they're too big for us and too big for God. If there's anything you face you think is too big for God, then your God's the wrong God. Because Paul says, there's nobody greater than our God. So then how do we, how do we live that? How do we go through and face that? Now, I wish that God would have said, Jesus died on the cross, and then you can live your Christian life, and nobody will ever bother you, Right? But unfortunately, it's not like that. Unfortunately, spiritual attack come without... It's like the enemy just keeps doing that, doing that, right? Doing that. You have good days, you have bad days. You have, you have highs and lows. You have times where you're like, yes, the Lord's with me. And you have times where the, we're like, Lord, where are you at? How come you're not answering my prayers? And man, I'm feeling really low and I'm getting all kinds of bad news. And where's this, this life you promised me, right? Am I just talking to myself? Maybe I am. I don't know. just talking to myself, but. My point is this. I don't understand why God allows those kind of things. But sometimes the greatest glory from God is in seeing Him work in your life in victory and seeing him work miracles in your life where you thought there was no miracles going on. Sometimes, you know, the Lord says, I'm really, really strong. And so he allows you to go through trials to show how strong he is, to show how faithful he is, how good he is. That if he did not allow you to go through that, you, have not, you would not have seen that part of God. It stinks sometimes because you don't, it, we don't like pain. We don't like suffering. We don't like waiting. We don't like, right? We want easy. We want, but you don't grow in strength by going easy. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. It's, I'm, I'm out of time. And, and uh, I, prom- I think last week I went way too long. So let's do this because I want to develop this third point uh, very deeply next week. Are you guys tracking with this? Okay, so before we end, everyone ask why the enemy attacks us? You ever ask yourself why? Who am I, right? Gee whiz, God, I'm, who am I? I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm nothing, right? Why does the enemy attack us? What was the purpose of God setting free the Israelites? He says, let my people go, then they may go out and do what? Worship me. Do you know that when they went to the promised land, it wasn't just to get land, and it wasn't just to be a blessing, and it wasn't to enjoy a bunch of grapes and chocolate and things like that. The main purpose was to be there so they can worship the Lord. And what's the biggest thing the enemy wants to keep you from? He wants to keep you from worshiping the Lord. So what does he do? He sends all kinds of distraction your way to get you worried about that, doubting about this, all that kind of things, and he wants to keep you from actually worshiping the Lord because powerful things happen when you and God commune. Here is God and here is God in Adam, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden, right? Fellowshipping, walking with each other, and of course the serpent comes by in Genesis three, and what does he do? He invades the space of what? Worship. Do you ever notice that? That's why the devil doesn't wait at the side of the door and say, oh, I guess you're in church now. I said, I better, better just sit back here until, I, until you get to your car. No, he comes in here too. Because he, he's, he's, he wants to challenge what God wants to do in you. He wants to challenge what, 
God, the intimacy that God wants to have with you. That's really his goal. He hates it when we worship God. He hates it when we trust and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you. I'm facing this. I'm praying. And my, somebody's telling me to doubt and to hate God, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship you. Because that is where God is glorified. The whole purpose of this whole thing, this whole calling, is so that we can worship God. The whole point of our life really is to worship God. And that's tested along the way. Yet it's, you, you go through trials, you go through situations where you don't understand why. Listen, we've been Christians our whole life. We're, we've done good things. We've given to the poor. We've we sacrificed. We've d- fasted for crying out loud. Wait, I mean, you fasted, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's like, why am I experiencing this? No, it's, it's the Lord bringing you even closer and closer and closer so you can experience more and more of his love and his grace and his intimacy and more experience what he's like, you know? And so the whole goal, Satan's whole goal is to prevent you from worshiping God, preventing you and God from having that communion that was there back in the garden that Christ died for so that we can go to heaven and have, do you know that in heaven, Satan is up there accusing their brethren, but he's not messing up with the worship time. He is not allowed to mess with the worship time. And someday, he's thrown into the pit, you know, into the lake of fire and everything else. He won't, then we'll have un inhabited worship where we are we transport parent before God and that's what he's trying to prevent that, that is really really where it's at that's really right he would rather see you be religious you can do all kinds of bowing and all kinds of stuff but if your heart is not you and the Lord there's something here he's got it I don't know that's 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 all I got tonight but let's do this you gotta do one or two songs Two songs? Let's do two songs. Let's finish in worship. And as you pray, as we worship, in your hearts, whatever it is, maybe there's something that God, maybe there's something you are dealing with the Lord. You just talk to the Lord about that. Maybe there's something that, that the enemy is really, really working you over and trying to make say, well, God's not really good and He's not really loving. Just, just pour your, yourself out to God. Open your heart out to God. Anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, you are so good. I I just want to thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you that that you know our hearts, you know where we're at, Lord. Would you please use this time? Would you um, bless our worship time? Would you speak to us, Lord? Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your grace to us, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.